Harris to Abachi, three right wing, falls again, six for six from three, Ochai, dead eye tonight. To get minutes in this program and, you know, to make a nice college career for you. This is all we to see. Hold on. Is there a wow. murder going on? That was awesome. Five to shoot. Harris is at the top of the key. Working the left-hand dribble. Two on the shot clock. One to shoot. Brown three. Got it! Brown with a three. Fading away on the left wing with one to shoot. And Kansas stretches the lead to 71-59. On Oach does a lot to, uh, to help our team win. I mean, the defense he played, he made the night blocking the three and then getting the run. I mean, that, that was an unreal uh, defense he played. But, but the thing about it is with Oach, sometimes numbers go down, but sometimes uh, players continue to play the right way and not forced to try to get numbers. And, 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 and that's Oach. Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Dude, shout out to a simpler time in America when all of us were captivated by the California Raisins. The national championship game is tonight. North Carolina and Kansas. You can hear it right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company is going to have an early edition of their show so that you can get three hours of Cofield and Company and still listen to the national championship right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Um, we have an eight seed in the national championship game. Uh UConn did win the title as a seven seed a few years ago. Uh, I am curious. Do you wish that having an eight seed in the national title game meant we didn't have one of the biggest brands in college basketball? Like, would you prefer this to be Butler or VCU and not uh, underdog plucky eight seed North Carolina? Do you think I'm tempting the fates in the slightest to say anything other than, thank God they eliminated Duke? <laughs> That's the only storyline I care about. Okay. I mean, like, North Carolina is not a true eight seed, by the way. They just underperformed for a lot of the year. Okay. All right. That's fine. They I just finished third in the ACC. Yeah, but then they didn't. I mean, I know they beat Duke like a month a month ago and then beat him again. I don't know. It's just that it seems like there's not – it doesn't feel like there's an eight seed in the title game, I guess is what I'm getting at here. It feels like this is a one seed versus a two seed because it's North Carolina and they beat Duke. And it's in reality, it's an eight seed. Like it's going to be – I think that would – the eight seed is the lowest seed that's ever won it, right? Yes, and by the way – the only seed that matters is the two seed that's not in it. Duke is gone. Oh don't ask for more. Okay. Okay. Are you going to like, okay, genuine question. People that don't like Mike Krzyzewski a lot, will that hatred of Duke continue now that he's gone? It's actually not just Krzyzewski. It's guys like Christian Leitner. Yeah. Right? Grayson Allen. Yeah. 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 Dirty players. Grayson Allen and Christian Leitner are dirty, dirty players who have somehow managed to have success. We put Christian Leitner on a friggin' commercial. Can you, are you serious? The dude stepped on someone's chest. <laughs> okay. On the North Carolina side of this, I asked you this on Friday before the final four games. So same sort of similar idea here. If we're looking at small sample size, NCAA tournament level stuff here, North Carolina has been the most efficient team in the NCAA tournament, adjusted efficiency. Kansas jumped up to number three after they beat down 
Villanova. So you have in the NCAA tournament, the number one and number three teams in overall efficiency. Surprisingly, TCU is second. Very highly thought of TCU because they lost a very close game uh, to Arizona. But those are your one and three teams. North Carolina has been playing very well. And if you take even before the NCAA tournament, so the first five games or the last five games before the NCAA tournament, in all of college basketball, Kansas, the number one most efficient team, North Carolina, has jumped up to number two in adjusted efficiency margin over the last 10 games of the season. I'll ask you the same question I did. Do you now buy into any small sample size on North Carolina being one of the top five teams in the country, playing like one of them, and give you any reason to think they actually win tonight against Kansas? Yeah, absolutely. And again, I don't think it's necessarily a small sample size. I, I think this is a team that played at, if we're going to talk about this in terms of a range of how they can play, they played at the far poor tail of how they could play for much of the middle part of the season. And now we're seeing them play at full speed, full strength. They have beaten Ken Palm's number four, eight, and 11 teams to get here. That's just in the last four games. They're clearly playing at that level. And don't be fooled by the overtime game against Baylor. They had a 25-point lead on a one seed before Brady Manick decided to go all vigilante justice. And that led to Baylor getting back into the game. So, I don't, yes, there's a small sample size on them playing at this high of a level. So now they're at the far end of the other side of that uh, tail where they're playing really, really well. I think if they settle in even a little bit lower than that, they're going to give Kansas a game. And like we talked about with Kansas, they have been very good all year long. They've never been the team we looked at as the number one team in the nation consistently. So there was an interesting tweet from uh, JG Trends on the NCAA tournament in Kansas and North Carolina. And it was looking at uh, teams this year in the NCAA tournament. Basically, off of ball screens, what kind of shots do you get? And Kansas... More than most teams, they're not at the very top. Gonzaga and actually St. Peter's were at the very top. But Kansas gets almost the most shots at the rim off of ball screens this year. So that's guards and guys actually rolling to the basket. Like, they get a bunch of shots off of ball screens at the rim. Kansas, also not the leaders here, is actually Villanova and Wisconsin. But Kansas, or excuse me, North Carolina, they get a ton of threes off of ball screens. And the way that JG Trends worded on Twitter is that the threes are more volatile, but more potent, and the rim is more stable. And so basically what that means is over the course of a season, over a long sample size, big sample size, getting shots at the rim, high-quality shots at the rim, is going to be the most valuable thing you can do, whether it's coming off ball screens or just in general. However, when you play a single game, when you have a small sample size, Getting shots from three can actually be the best way to win because if you knock down a ridiculous percentage of them, uh, that's going to be better than getting shots at the rim. And so it might simply be a small sample size, single game variance that decides this is does North Carolina make a high percentage of threes off of ball screens that outweighs what Kansas is able to get at the rim? And we've seen a little bit of that throughout the NCAA tournament. That's why North Carolina has been the number one team in adjusted efficiency because they've been good from that. And specifically, Caleb Love has hit multiple massive shots coming off of ball screens, pulling up for three shots you wouldn't consider as a good high quality shot. 
but he knocked down two against UCLA in the final two minutes and then obviously had the big one against Duke. Those types of shots are the reason they're here, and those types of the shots are the reason they can win the national championship tonight. Let's not sell Kansas short in that regard, though, because Kansas had that kind of game to get here, right? It, this is what happened for Kansas to be able to be in the spot that they're in right now. This is the game that they played against Villanova. Uh, Kansas was absolutely lighting it up from outside. In fact, it's part of the reason that game went over, even though a lot of people were expecting uh, that to be a much slower paced game that went under. But from three point range, they went 13 of 24. So, uh, you know, Abaji alone went six of seven from three point range. So I think Kansas has every bit the ability to do what North Carolina did. But I think there's a flip side to that. David McCormick has been a major factor in the tournament, and North Carolina's size is going to, I'm not going to say neutralize him, but when he has to deal with Manic and Baycott, I think that's going to make his life a lot more difficult. I think this is going to be way more about can the Kansas backcourt outplay North Carolina. Yeah, McCormick had probably his best game of the tournament, maybe his best game ever against Villanova. And Vill Villanova switched everything, and they were... I guess, passive to actually contest him, didn't want to foul that much. So he was unbelievable in that game. I would be surprised if he's anywhere near that good. Um, on By the way, on the Kansas note, um, here's a tweet from Jesse Newell. Kansas had 58 possessions against Villanova. That was their slowest tempo game for Kansas since 2016. They still scored 81 points on 58 possessions. That's 1.4 points per possession, which is... That's an insane mark. You'd be the best college basketball team in the history of the sport if you scored 1.4 points per possession all the time. And one more fact from Jesse Newell, Kansas didn't have a single in transition in that game. They didn't need to. It really, that was never a game. And uh, I believe, Tyler, 1.4 points per possession, that's pretty good, huh? <laughs> that'll work you're not losing yeah, many yeah, games okay. if you get put up 1.4 okay all right <laughs> um one other thing on kansas here they so their first five games uh they have only had one game where at halftime their win probability uh was under 80 percent, and that was against miami where it was like 52 percent. basically every game they have played has been over at halftime villanova villanova got within six there was a little bit of a run from villanova there but Basically, every game they've played has been over at halftime in this NCAA tournament run. I'm a little concerned this one is, too. I don't know, man. Hey, the small sample size thing is what makes this so fascinating, right? Like, you have a team like North Carolina. Look, they're not an eight seed. We can all stop calling North Carolina an eight seed. They're not an eight seed. But in a small sample size here, you have a North Carolina team that is playing probably even better than it really is, right? Even if you say North Carolina is a four, probably more realistically, they've been playing like a one for a while now. How close are they going to play to a four against Kansas? If they play like a four against Kansas, then I think Kansas has a very good chance of winning this game. But if they continue to play anywhere near the level that they've played at, then I think North Carolina has all the pieces you need to win. You know, it's very important. I have North Carolina and uh, my Calcutta bet that you loved on oh, Friday. Oh, good. Calcutta and chickens, what everyone's <laughs> here for. You should like the Calcutta. It's normal. 
I like how you try to use the backdrop of fake horses and chickens to tell me Calcutta is normal. You compared it to fake horses and chickens when it's it's just a, a slightly different way to bet with your friends on sports. It's great. And I've got North Carolina. And by the way, them being an eight seed is very helpful, even if they're really a four seed. Like you say, an eight seed helps me out a lot. Could we, could we just give it a better name? I don't even know what Calcutta means. I think it's a fun name to say. Oh, okay. It's okay. Yeah, I'll go ahead and leave it right there. What do you mean? It's a fun name to say. Coming up next, (laughs) something Adam hates even more than the Calcutta, me talking about the United States and the World Cup. Bischoff's Briefs. Throwing out random numbers authoritatively is the best way to pass as a baseball expert. Bischoff's Briefs. By the way, it's commendable how many baseball players care so deeply about the Equal Rights Amendment. Bischoff's Briefs. Somebody get me some antibiotics because that ball is gonorrhea. Bischoff's Briefs. If you listened to our show last Friday, feel sorry for you. The last hour was me being thoroughly distracted while FIFA drew out the World Cup draw as long as possible. But we did finally get the draw for the United States, who are in Group B. England is the best team in the group. The United States, Iran, and then one European team that will be determined later. It'll be one of Ukraine, Scotland, or Wales. The reason we do not know yet is because Ukraine has not been able to play soccer for a couple of months. Uh, They were supposed to have a playoff. There were four teams in the playoff. There was supposed to be a playoff for one of the final spots in the World Cup, but that has been pushed back till June. And so the winner of that, those three teams will be in the United States group. We got a little bit screwed here because Wales, if they end up winning this, Wales is basically as good as the United States. They're in the top 25 in world rankings and had this played out in a normal time frame, Wales would have been in pot two and never would have been in the same group as the United States. But now if Wales wins, they're in our group. So if you look at our group, I have two good things and one bad thing for our group. The bad thing is that there is not an actual bad team in our group iran is solid if it's wales wales is very good and obviously england is the best team here so there's no obvious wins for the united states in this group they could conceivably lose all three games and come home embarrassed that would be a disaster and i would be very sad if that happened would not be fun but that is pretty much the bad thing from how this world cup draw went is we don't have an actual terrible team in our group but There are two good things. One of those is actually the strength of the group could work out well for the United States because not only could the United States lose to anyone and beat everybody, honestly, so can England, right? England's supposed to be the best team in this group, but it wouldn't be that big of a shock if the United States beat England. Wouldn't be that big of a shock if or Scotland or whoever gets in beat England. And honestly, Iran is not a terrible country that couldn't beat England as well, which means the United States could win the group and could win the group without actually beating England, right? They could get a draw with England. Hell, they could lose to England. And if England doesn't perform well against two other countries that are pretty decent at the sport, England might not win the group. And winning the group is better than finishing second in the group. So there's a chance that the strength of the group actually ends up helping 
the United States because it could mean that the uh, winning the group is a lot easier than had there been some bad teams in it. But the best part of our group, and this is looking ahead to the future, we're in Group B, which means if we finish in the top two, we advance the round to 16 and we play a team from Group A. If we win the group, we play the second team from Group A. If we finish second in Group B, we play the best team from Group A. Group A, which is Qatar's team uh, group, it is the worst group in the World Cup because Qatar is the pot one team, but they also got the Netherlands, Senegal, and Ecuador. The Netherlands and Senegal are about as good as the United States, maybe a little better, maybe a little worse. But those two teams are expected to go through because Qatar and Ecuador are, are not very good. And what that means is, is that the United States, if they get out of their group, they will not be playing uh, top like 10 team in the country, in the world, right? They most likely are going to get to play Netherlands or Senegal. And both of those countries are around the same level as the United States, which means the United States wouldn't really have to upset anybody to get to the quarterfinals. Like we could legitimately be one of the final eight teams playing. We don't have to beat England to advance. We could legitimately be one of the final eight teams playing and the Netherlands or Senegal be the best team that we beat to get there, which would be incredible, right? I mean, it's genuinely, there is a decent path for the United States if they get out of their group to make it to the quarterfinals, which would be very, very fun. So that's what I'm excited about there. Also very fun. Uh, I'm going to say thank you to FIFA for this. All three of our games will start at 11 a.m. Pacific time. There are games that will start as early as 2 a.m., which sounds like a disaster, but all of our games will start at 11 a.m. Pacific time, which is the latest possible time slot for any of these World Cup games. So I'm very thankful that FIFA decided to do a favor to the United States and play all of our games later in the morning and not give us any terrible kickoff times. At one point in that soliloquy, you said, right, as in someone was going to agree with you. I, I hope you weren't expecting it to be me. No, myself. I was agreeing with myself. Okay. I just, whew, whew, okay. Thank God. For a second there, I thought you wanted me to have actually taken in all of that information about Senegal and Iran. I, I, oof. We're going to beat them both That's and be good. in the quarterfinals. That's the key here. So after everything I've told you, are we going to be in the quarterfinals, Adam? Right? Yeah, we should be. We should be there. Uh, that's my that's my goal. Not only get out of the group stage, win a knockout round game, and be in the quarterfinals. Because then, in 2026, we're going to win the World Cup. Where are we playing that one? Here. Well, not in Vegas. Vegas? Because they gave us Allegiant Stadium and said, hey, give us this money and we'll bid on the World Cup. And then decided, no, we don't want the World Cup here. But in the United States, we're going to win the World Cup in 2026. I mean, they also said we were getting Beyonce and Taylor Swift. We talked about this, Jerry. We got BTS instead. It's, I think it's a better trade-off. I mean, why not all three? That's fair. We could, we should have all three. Yeah, that's fair there. Oh, by the way, Adam, do you know who BTS is? The BTS thing is nuts. Yeah. Nuts. I have... I have a friend who has a teenage daughter who um, the friends of the daughter are trying to get tickets for a bunch of girls in this group. They like signed up for like the platinum level of the BTS fan club just to have a better chance in the lottery to buy tickets and still didn't get any tickets to these insane sold out concerts. So I I'm blown away by the BTS thing. 
Uh, Adam, I am going to BTS on Saturday, and my girlfriend did the same thing. Okay, let's start. Uh, <laughs> your girlfriend did the same thing. Good for her. <laughs> why? Why? Why are you going? There's nobody. There's nobody else she'd rather go to this with than you, or you are actually that kind of a BTS fan. No, she is that kind of a BTS fan. Um, I am just happy to support her, and I expect it to be a great show. Why wouldn't it be a great show? It's the most popular band in the country right now. It's going to be awesome. All right, coming up oh, next. Yo, wait a minute. Before what? you go on, Tyler Bischoff saying, why wouldn't it be great everyone likes it is the least on-brand thing you have ever said. It's going to be a fun show. Coming up next, Steve Sisolak joins the show. Joining us now. The governor of Nevada, Steve Sisolak. Good morning. How are you today, Steve? Good morning, guys. Good. How you doing? How's everything going? We are we are good. There is a lot of uh, potential sports coming to Vegas. Some that actually is coming, not potential anymore. I do want to start though with baseball here because last year we had you on and and you told us that the A's might have been using us as a stalking horse. Was the fun phrase that you used. There now there's a lawsuit in Oakland about their environmental impact report of their current location. Dave Cavill has said that they might announce a site where they could build a ballpark or where they put a bid on some land here in Vegas. Is there any actual more uh, reality to the A's possibly coming to Vegas? I think there's quite a bit more, frankly, right now. I talked to Dave, in fact, yesterday. Uh, we had a, quite a conversation about a couple sites that they're still getting uh, seriously considering got it narrowed down to we went over the pluses and minuses and the obstacles and the benefits of the various sites that they're looking at and and talked to the commissioner a couple weeks back about uh, major league baseball's desire to move into las vegas so there's a lot more movement i think than there was a couple months ago do you get a sense that the a's coming here would be willing to fund the entire bill of the stadium privately well, we're having that discussion. I clearly told them there's no state money available at this time. Now, there's other financing options that they could use. They could use the tax improvement district. They could try to get some infrastructure money from the state or the counties for various parcels. Some of these would require a lot more than others. Uh, but they'd be on their own in terms of financing and building the stadium. But some of the things you're talking about are a little bit bigger developments, too. So we'll have to wait and see which site they actually settle on. And uh, he assured me that that's going to be soon governor obviously a huge announcement last week with f1 coming to las vegas and having that race on the strip um i think the thing that most impressed me about the announcement is this is a pretty major commitment from the resort corridor and the strip casino operators to have this much time with the strip uh being closed uh, what what is the sort of commitment that they're making here to make this happen well, it's an incredible commitment from the entire community, the gaming community up and down Las Vegas Boulevard, that whole area, all the businesses that are there. It is going to obviously cause some significant road disruptions. But you're looking at getting, you know, uh, it's unbelievable, 170,000 people in for this race, you know, over you know, close to half a million room nights, four or 500,000 room nights in for this event. It's going to be a significant impact, a half a billion dollars in direct economic impact, a, over a billion total economic impact, and that's not counting the gaming coming in here. So it would have a huge impact on this community, uh, create an awful lot of jobs. You know, when you talk about preparing uh, the track for that, you, you're talking about things that people don't even realize, having to weld down those manhole covers that are up and down Las Vegas Boulevard, resurfacing the entire lanes that are going to be used for this to meet their standards. 
So it's a significant amount of work and uh, jobs that are going to go into this and definitely uh, be a boost for our economy. How quickly did this come together? Like, when was the first time that F1 in Las Vegas came on the radar before it actually was a done deal? Well, F1's been talked about for several years. I remember meeting with some F1 folks back when I was on the county commission. It wasn't these same individuals. But when you're talking about whether it was Stefano or Greg coming the first time, I probably met with them. They flew in from England, I'd say, probably last fall. You know, last summer, last fall was the first time we really started talking nuts and bolts. And they came in and showed me the idea and their plans and whatnot and asked for help. And we had numerous meetings since then. They flew in and uh, we'd been talking to the partners on a regular basis, you know, the resort community and, and the business community up and down the strip to make this happen. So Steve Hill has really taken the lead in terms of uh, trying to facilitate the conversations. And then it was up to F1 to sell all the different resort partners on the benefit they're going to get out of this. And I'm sure you can imagine in talking to well, Greg and Stefano last week, the, the rooms that are facing the track are going to be pricey for the folks few days. <laughs> so the hotels are clearly going to get a benefit out of this. And they realize that. And uh, I think everybody's going to be a winner. Uh, Governor Steve Sisolak with us. All right, I got to ask you about uh, Tim Lewecki and the Oakview Group. They announced they're going to have a $3 billion project and include a casino, but also a 20,000-seat arena. Now, I know Tim Lewecki's talked to a uh, couple media outlets, and he sort of downplayed the idea that this means the NBA is coming to Vegas or means that this is going to be where an NBA team plays. What do you know? Because it would seem to make a lot of sense that Tim Lewecki, who's been involved in the NBA before, that if he's going to build a 20,000-seat arena, it would make sense that he thinks an NBA team is going to be playing in there one day. Well, I think that Tim definitely would like to have an NBA team playing in there one day. They are, uh, it's, again, that's another group that's great to work with. Uh, had some real serious discussions with them in the last month or so. Uh, they are convinced that they can make a go of this with just uh, concert entertainment and venue down on Las Vegas Boulevard and Blue Diamond area, that they can bring the acts in, that they control the acts in the entertainment, uh, that the town needs a lot more. We can support a lot more live entertainment. But they ultimately, I think, would like to get an NBA franchise in there. And there's a sense that you know NBA franchises don't like to share buildings with NHL teams and that they feel that if you can uh, – when the NBA comes ready to go, that uh, they're going to say, look, we have an arena as opposed to we're going to build an arena. Now, I can tell you, I talk to, I get to see Adam Silver pretty regular when he comes for NBA Summer League. You know, we get to sit down and talk and, and talk about the future of the NBA, and you've got the avenue of uh, expansion that people, you know, are continually talking about. But there's still the possibility of moving a team into, into Las Vegas, and there's several suitors out there for a team and several options where they could play, and uh, I think it's an exciting time. Which do you think would be more likely? If Vegas gets an NBA team, do you think it's more likely it would be the NBA expanding or it would be a team relocating to Vegas? <clears throat> well, I don't have any inside knowledge on that. If I had a guess at what I'm hearing, there are several teams that are available. They've gotten extremely pricey now, you know, for a bi-professional <laughs> sports franchise. I think there's a real possibility. There is no firm plan if and when the NBA will expand and what the expansion fee will be. There is no firm plan as it relates to that. Uh, you can buy a team if there's one for sale, and what I'm being told that there are a couple that are potentially on the market right now that they could uh, somebody could buy one and move it here with the uh, permission of the league. And, and I think that the same thing I'm hearing about baseball is that the other owners 
in the NBA are very encouraging and very optimistic about Las Vegas. They think it's a good market. Now, there's some questions about the media contracts you know, because it's a small media market compared to the other cities where they locate teams. But uh, there's a lot of pluses in Las Vegas that you see for a team. And when they see the success of whether it's the Golden Knights or the Raiders or now F1 investing in here, you've got to start paying attention when you've got uh, these professional franchises that are putting so much money into Las Vegas and taking such an optimistic view of it that I think they want to be part of the uh, part of the wave. So the Golden Knights are on the strip. The Raiders play just very close right off the strip. I know Dave Cavill has given some quotes about how it would be important for the A's if they come here that it would be on or near the strip. Does an NBA team being that far away from the main part of the strip work? Like, how does that, how is it different for the NBA compared to the other teams that are already here? Like, would that work out well for them? You mean the, the parcel on Blue Diamond? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, well, I think that, you know, as the town continues to grow south, part of the development down there on Blue Diamond is a hotel as well. Uh, it's convenient, obviously, for uh, residents or, or tourists to walk to T Mobile from all the casinos there. You could walk to Legion you know, over the Hacienda or the Russell Ridge. Uh, but a lot of people take, you know, Ubers and Lyfts and, and shuttle buses and whatnot. I don't think that being off the, uh, a couple miles south of the Strip would be a detractor, frankly, in terms of attendance. It, there's the advantage of it in terms of there's a tremendous road access there coming off of Blue Diamond, you know, the I-15 interchanges. And we spent a lot of time talking about that, you know, what impact that would have and what we could do with NDOT to facilitate you know, the traffic coming in and out of these. There's a lot of factors that have to go into play for these folks when they're deciding where exactly to invest a billion or more dollars you know, in terms of building a facility to put this in. And that's one of the things that they're clearly looking at. Yet at the same time, you can add other amenities. You can't get as big a parcel when you get closer to the strip. I mean, you know how it's built up, and oftentimes you've got to take one and knock something down in order to make it work or repurpose a property. Uh, but when you go south there, there's a little bit more land. And I think it would free up some flexibility and options for them to develop it. I take that exit off of I-15 to 215 every day. So you're saying we could have a better exit and entrance onto the highway system there at Blue Diamond and Las Vegas Boulevard? Well, you could. I mean, there's clearly there's several points there. You've got the 215 axis. You've got the Blue Diamond uh, I-15 axis, the 215 axis. You've got a couple there that you can get traffic in and out of there. It, it, it's not the same as Allegiant Stadium, clearly, because you're talking 20,000 seats as opposed to 65,000 seats. But you've got to be able to get that traffic in and out of there, and they're doing traffic studies. I can tell you the one thing about Oakland and, and Dave and, and John and whatnot is people are talking about how long it's taken them. They are doing their homework. They are clearly doing their due diligence. They're looking at proposed sites, options that they might have, and weighing the pluses and minuses. They're looking at economic impact and traffic studies and all those sort of things. Uh, these guys have built before. They know what they're doing. And uh, I think that you're going to see a good product in the end. Governor, you and I talked a lot uh, in the process of Allegiant Stadium being approved and the Raiders coming to Las Vegas. And one of the things that we discussed was the fact that, you know, despite the fact that you know, the, the public ultimately owns Allegiant Stadium, that you still needed the Raiders and their events company to fill that stadium up regularly, to book it with enough events, to, to develop the uh, the room tax necessary to pay it off. How has that relationship developed between the stadium authority and the Raiders and making sure that everyone uh, gets what they need out of that relationship? It has been absolutely incredible. I mean, they have far surpassed 
<clears throat> any projections, expectations in terms of events in that venue. you got to remember they had concerts in their back-to-back on two different nights, two different groups coming in there. They've had, uh, obviously, football. They've brought in other events into there in the future. We're looking at potentially some real large events coming into there to imagine that the Super Bowl is going to be in there. That stadium will pay for itself time and time again. When you look at the room tax that's generated, and it's not just the tax dollars that we're talking about here. When you're going into that stadium, you're generating room nights, people sleeping in hotel rooms, which means they're going to eat in the restaurants, they're going to shop in our stores, and that all creates jobs. I mean, it's a clear uh, job generator for the state, for the Clark County and Las Vegas in particular, and the Strip Corridor, and I think that the uh, property owners recognize how beneficial this is. I think that's one of the reasons that they're a lot more eager to jump on something like F1 because they see that these sporting attractions generate a lot of traffic. And that traffic generates business, and the business clearly generates profit and jobs. And those jobs are extremely important to me. That's why I'm such an advocate for continuing to expand our portfolio of sports and entertainment events. Well, you gave us a little a little tease there, and I know you can't tell us everything, but when you say some other large events, anything you can give us a, a hint about? No, you're going to see some announcements coming forward. I can tell you that the Raiders, with Jeremy Aguero moving over there from Applied Analysis, have done an absolutely amazing job of attracting people and selling the benefits of Las Vegas. So when you combine that with Steve Hill and the LVCVA to talk about Las Vegas, I mean, you got to think about this. If you can imagine uh, a year from this November, you're going to have a, uh, an F1 race with cars going 200 miles an hour down Las Vegas Boulevard with the backdrop of the Las Vegas Strip there. That's something you can't duplicate anywhere else in the world. That's why I am convinced this is going to end up being their flagship race. This is going to be the premier race. And I know the drivers, nobody's going to like going any place better than Las Vegas. I mean, the drivers are absolutely going to love it here. We've got so much in terms of amenities and the hospitality. Uh, it's really going to shine, in my opinion. This is a huge, a huge get for the Convention Visitors Authority in Las Vegas. It's, it's a big, big thing for us. We're getting the Final Four, right? That's, that's one of the events. <laughs> it'll be a good right. final for game tonight i'm looking forward to tonight's game <laughs> that would clearly be ideal to have the final four we could host the final four with any without any doubt whatsoever and you know we're going to continue to pursue events and i'm proud of the team that's been assembled to do that and we've got facilities of all types there all these facilities build on each other all these events build on each other to make it possible so las vegas is as steve hill said at the press conference you don't really have to sell Las Vegas. I mean, it sells itself. And once you come here, you come back, and this will increase our lasting tourism base for a long, long time. So, like I say, to me, it's about jobs. It's about creating an awful lot of jobs. There's a lot of hotel rooms that we've got to get bodies into every single night on Las Vegas Boulevard. And we're committed to continuing to do that and use all of the resources and assets that we have to make that a possibility. Well, he is the governor of Nevada, Steve Sisolak. As always, Steve, we appreciate you joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I always talking, love talking sports with you guys. Yes. Have a so, great day. You too. You too. Steve Sisolak, the governor of Nevada, kind enough to join us this morning. Um, I think I was fascinated with his uh, basically repeating the same thing Tim Lewecki said about that potential 20,000-seat arena 
at the Blue Diamond Land that they think it works even if they don't have an NBA team because you and I both, I don't know that either one of us necessarily thinks that is necessarily true, but that seems to be their official talking point on the matter that they don't need an NBA team to make a 20,000-seat arena off the strip work. And I also wonder if the NBA has maybe suggested that that would be a good way to talk about this, right? (laughs) That the NBA would say, even if we have some interest, don't go out there saying this is the site for the next NBA team in Las Vegas. This is a done deal. We have already got it. Forget about Seattle. They're not important. All right, here we go. We've got a giveaway for you. You will win right now $50, $50 gift card to Vegas Sports and Hockey that's now open in Centennial. So $50 gift card to Vegas Sports and Hockey, and you will be qualified to win our grand prize, which is a two-night stay at the Treasure Island on April 28th and 29th and dinner at Gillies Las Vegas during the NFL draft. So you'll get $50 gift card right now to Vegas Sports and Hockey. You'll be qualified to win two nights stay at Treasure Island during the NFL draft on April 28th and 29th and dinner at Gillies. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. That's 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number seven. So simple. It's it so simple. simple. Yes, it's a, simple it's game. a game of inches at the same time. So those simple things yeah. are not always so simple. It is a, it's a game of inches. Ask the Cox. You're locked in the press box. Congratulations to Brandon. He won the $50 gift card to Vegas Sports and Hockey and is qualified to win the grand prize, which is a two-night stay at Treasure Island on April 28th and 29th during the NFL Draft, plus dinner at Gillies. Um, Adam, I, I, I feel it very important that I give you a couple more details on me going to see BTS at Allegiant Stadium. Um, my girlfriend loves BTS, uh, which is why we're going. Not only did she join the BTS fan army in order to get the pre-sale code so that we could get in line to buy tickets and then wait two and a half hours in the queue before it was our turn to buy tickets. Not only did we do that. But last week, her favorite member of BTS tested positive for COVID. And she was very concerned that we would go see BTS and she would not get to see her favorite member of BTS, uh, Jungkook, by the way. So because they're playing four shows, two on two different weekends... We're going on Saturday, but we also bought the cheapest tickets in the building to go the following Friday because the logic was, well, surely he'll be over it at least by the second weekend. That way she'd be guaranteed to see him. So how much were the cheapest tickets in the building the second weekend? Uh, 140 or 50 per ticket. So 300 or so uh, in total for the second second show we're going to see. In which... uh, in which I assume Jungkook will look like a speck of dust down on the stage from wherever you're sitting. There'll be big screens. You can see the screens. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I always pay to go watch the screens. Yeah. Um, That's, uh... What is your favorite BTS song? Ooh, uh, the one, I don't know what it's called, but the, the chorus is Smooth Like Butter. Like you. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so this now makes... This now makes BTS the most culturally relevant thing about you, which is shocking. Like, you could have given me 100 guesses, and I never would have 
come up with this. Is there anything else that that your girlfriend is into that has made you at least not the hermit that you appear to be? I don't think so. I, like, I, I mean, Star Wars. It. Star Wars. She's the reason I watched all okay. 11 Star Wars movies. That's fair. That's fair. I, I, I was wondering if we were going to get something along the lines of, like, I was shocked that you knew who John Mulaney was when I said you often sound like John Mulaney. Oh, I, I, I could probably credit my girlfriend on that, too. She likes, she has certain comics that she likes, and I think John Mulaney at one point was one of them that she watched, like, three straight comedy specials somewhere from John Mulaney. So, yeah, she's, she gets credit for that, too. You've almost ruined John Mulaney for me, actually. Like when I I, I enjoy watching <laughs> his specials, and the problem is now I watch John Mulaney and I hear the speech patterns, and I'm like, God, it's Tyler! Like, how yeah. is this possible? I should make it better, right? Don't you want to think of me more uh, often? I mean, I'd like to think of you going to rehab for like cocaine abuse. <laughs> that would make me laugh a lot, just because when was he doing it? He doesn't leave his house. Yeah, it's the best place to do it, isn't it? I was um, just going to say, he, uh, J J Jared, are you are you suggesting that he should go to a cocaine lounge of some sort? <laughs> like, like what are you, what? Tyler? I know some places. I'll text you. Oh boy, oh boy. Yeah. So yeah, well, I think that definitely went a direction we weren't going. But all right, I think you've uh, stumbled upon something important here. That anything outside of the world of sports that I am interested in or am doing, it's probably because of my girlfriend oh no i didn't stumble on it at all i knew oh. exactly what i was saying that, that, that i stumped well i stumbled I, upon you stumbled on, this is a revelation for you only <laughs> that i i feel like we need to have the bischoffs and the grainies hanging out more often because then maybe ed could get exposed to some things too oh boy i don't think he wants to be exposed to bts that might be a little much for ed to handle off the bat oh, i don't be fantastic it's i in all seriousness I think it's going to be one of the most ridiculous events I've, I've ever been to, is this BTS concert. I mean, I'm expecting it to be one of the most ridiculous things I've ever been to. You had to be, you had to join a fan army membership to get pre-sale tickets. Do, do you think you are going to be the oldest person without children in the building? Uh, very, very likely, yes. I think that is a high possibility. Um, granted, if you, oh man, you, spending you, you that much money to, on a kid. You need to nightmare. stay by your girlfriend at all times, or else all the parents are going to look at you and think, <laughs> oh, this creeper's trying to get our teenagers. <laughs> by her side, all times, do not wander even five feet away, or they will be calling the authorities. <laughs>